Eat, drink, smoke, where we eat the fine food, drink the fine bourbon, smoke the fine cigars, and this is the Old Forester, 1910. And it right stamped right on that label. It's going to say Old Fine Whiskey, and you can, well, you can figure it out for yourself, although they spell it with a K-Y and not an E-Y, and I'm even more confused about that. I'm Tony Katz. That's Fingers Malloy right there. Now, when you're talking about a bourbon, as we often do, because we always start off with the drink, not always a bourbon, though. Remember the rules of bourbon. Bourbon has to be made with 51% corn. It has to be aged at least two years. It has to be in a first-use American charred oak barrel. That means they burn the barrel. It's the barrel that gives the flavor. What are those staves of wood? What is it that's coming in from it? That's what creates all that kind of excitement. It can only be diluted with water to bring down the proof. Now, the Old Forester has, there's a bunch of those, and you've seen them before. Might even be in your liquor cabinet at a bunch of different price points. This is where it gets interesting. So this is a mash bill of 72% corn, 18% rye, and 10% malted barley. Uh, I get that information from thewhiskeyjug.com, which is actually a site. I don't know the guys who do it, Fingers. I really like what they do and how they break down a review of bourbons. I think they do just a, a terrific uh, job. This is 46.5% alcohol by volume. So uh, as they say uh, in the old Crank Yankers, double it, and you'll get to a 93 proof right there. Now the question is, what does it taste like? What does it go? You, you're doing the nose fingers. You're you're giving it the sniff. Yeah, sticking getting, your nose uh, right in there. A little little brown sugar and spice and everything well, nice. It is absolutely correct. Oh my god, that's hard. That was a hard. That was a hard little sniff right there. That was no joke. You, you sniff, but you don't inhale <laughs> oh, this one. Wait a second. <laughs> oh, oh my god, that is really rough. That's no joke. What's rough. going on? That's a harsh. Uh, that's rough. no. It's intense. Rough. You're right. Is wrong. Intense is definitely that, okay. where it's at. I'll buy that. That is absolutely intense. Hold on. Um, okay. That is unbelievably dark. That is a lot of brown sugar. And are you getting a little licorice on the nose too? I don't know. I think that's. I think that's up to to you because I don't know how I would describe licorice. I don't know what. I mean, not right. black licorice. No, I understand, right? Yeah. Like, that would be more like an anise, right? Right. Kind of flavor. I don't know. It's it's the way all these things are kind of described. Sometimes I don't know how people decide they pick things up. But that is that is definitely brown sugar. It's definitely sweet. I, I don't know. I, I think I'm so overwhelmed. It's just starting to feel normal to, to give it a sniff. Oh, I'm going to cleanse the palate with some water. All right. So we're going to take a sip of this thing. Mm-hmm. It is, it is an unbelievably dark brown. You know, sometimes you're looking at a bourbon, you'll see like that amber color. No, this is a dark, dark brown, almost a tint of red going on in there. And it's, and it's thick. Look how it's coating the glass, right? Yeah. You know, that is, you know, sometimes you'll, it's, it's almost a watery. Sometimes it has some, some hardiness to it. This is thick, almost a touch Almost a touch of a of a thin syrup. It look it looks like it leaves a coating. Right, right along the, the glass. glass. Yes. All right, we doing this? Absolutely. Now we do it neat. We always do it neat with a big rock side. Personally, I'm a fan of the sphere. And if by some chance you hear Fingers Malloy moaning during the show, he threw out his back because yeah. it turns out he's the oldest man in the room. So, so. to you, have a drink. You'll feel better. Uh, this is the Old Forester, 1910. Old fine whiskey. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Doing it. Doing it. Medicinal. Mmm. Oh my. That was medicinal. 
That was... Ah. Okay, here's what's interesting. Ah. Okay, it, it gives you a little bit ah. of sting on the tongue. It actually is a tad medicinal. Uh, there's a cherry flavor. After after you swallow oh. it, there's a cherry aftertaste. Well, I just I just took a little bit of the melted ice from our, our rock side and poured it in to see if it'll chill a little bit and maybe open that up. That was that was not enjoyable. That was not enjoyable on the on the first. Oh my, oh, wait, hold on. You're going back for more. Oh, absolutely. You're going back I, for more. I meat. need I need this Tony. <laughs> <laughs> I need. I threw out my back, <laughs> grabbing a towel on the floor. You were grabbing a towel on the floor? Mm-hmm. Where? Wh- why? I was taking a shower, and I had my towel why on the floor. Why was your towel on the floor if you were taking a shower? Because I'm a savage, Tony. Clearly. <laughs> so I left the towel on the floor by the bath mat, and I went to pick it up like I'm 17, and I'm, I'm not 17 anymore. You didn't bend with your, with your, you didn't use your legs? No, I, I, I bent with my back. Oh, and then uh, someone stabbed me repeatedly with an ice pick in my back. And you it's can't been, bend I mean, with the back. That's, no. that's science. A Gen Xer can't bend with the back anymore. Hold on. You're really... I'm going to give it uh, one yeah. more time. So I added a little bit of cold water to kind of open it up. Let's see if I get something different here. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh. No? That's oh. a no for you, huh? Oh, good Lord. Look, we never lie to you guys. Sometimes it is not for for me. Sometimes it's not for fingers. Um, you got to decide for yourself here. Um, one of the it, there's there's definitely I think there's supposed to be fruit, but I don't get I don't. I, <laughs> oh, that's just not gonna. That is, it's like a cherry cough syrup, and it's not gonna work for me. It's like, oh, I you know what? I can't. I got nothing. I can't. I, I wish. I can't. Well, I welcome won't. to the review show where the guy's got nothing. <laughs> oh, my God. That is not okay. That's just rough. It leaves a coating on your tongue because it leaves a coating in the glass. There's a cherry aftertaste. It's medicinal. Uh, and also, you're getting, you're definitely getting the extra proof in the flavor. You know, we've reviewed plenty of bourbon that has been higher proof than this, but has been smoother. Uh, I like the old Granddad 114. I love old Granddad 114. Yeah, I'd be drinking your old Granddad 114. <laughs> old Granddad 114, I think, is one of the most underrated, best values of bourbon out there. And if you can find it, absolutely have a bottle. You know what this goes for, according to Drizzly? Which why aren't they a sponsor? That's Drizzly a question. Should be a sponsor. Uh, it's fifty nine ninety nine a bottle. Absolutely not. Not a chance. Now, the funny thing is, I have Old Forester in my liquor cabinet. I like Old Forester uh, bourbon. I like what they do. This, guys, I love you, Boo Bear. <laughs> oh, my gosh, this ain't it. Like, that. that's, can I say bad? Can I say terrible? That was awful. Oh, my gosh. See, I Is I that too harsh? That, like, I, 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 I love you, Old Forester. It's just, this. you know what? This isn't for me. Listen, I'll drink it because <laughs> it's in front of me. You'll drink it because you're back. Well, that too, but I will probably never order this again. No, absolutely not. My question is, where where is the person, like like the person who sees this as like a, a palette that they have, what is it that they're seeing? Like that to me, almost like a sociology experiment <laughs> would, be, right? would be the most exciting thing. Like how can you see this? Maybe in better news, the guys at Knob Creek, 
Um, they are. They've got a new uh, release going on. It's a twelve. Actually, it's. I think it's a fifteen year. Um, they're adding a limited edition fifteen year old straight bourbon whiskey at a hundred proof. Is coming. I will try that because Knob Creek. Um, I think is. I, I, I find there's a lot of consistency with it. Sometimes it's a little too much for me. At a hundred proof for me, it might be too much. But they'll absolutely get me to try it. And to try a 15-year and to see where it is and how it develops. The old Forester, I love you guys. Just not the 1910. This is Eat, Drink, Smoke. There seems to be absolutely nothing that will not be in the grasp of coronavirus. Not that everyone's dying. Not that even increased cases means people are getting sick. I think that jury is still out. But what it is doing to the entire nation of business... And of sports, we are nowhere near knowing exactly how bad this is going to be. This is Eat, Drink, Smoke. Great to be with you. Tony Katz, Fingers Malloy on Facebook, facebook.com slash eat, drink, smoke. Be sure to like the page. It was a story out of Forbes that said less than half of Americans say they will eat at restaurants within a month of the coronavirus curve flattening. Now, my problem with the headline is, I thought we already flattened the curve, right? So now we're, now, Fingers Malloy, we have to re-flatten the curve. And flattening the curve was about not overwhelming hospital workers, which I totally understood and I really had no, no issue with. Although I maybe have, I shouldn't say maybe, I do have issues with the idea of shutting down society. I don't, I don't think that's how you solve a problem by telling people they can't make a living and, and feed their families. I think that's really problematic. Um, but I don't believe this at all. Less than half of Americans say they will eat at restaurants. I think it's way bigger than than half. I don't know. And I'll tell you why. I think, first of all, you have a lot of people who are still struggling, many who didn't get the the $600 uh, CARES Act. uh, Oh, the unemployment. uh, And and the unemployment. You've got people that don't have, uh, uh, they're they're still unemployed. uh, And then you also have people who are, you know, they've been working the whole time, but they've been working in jobs that are considered essential, but they weren't making a lot of money, you know, if you're a cashier at uh, Costco or something like that. So there are people who are struggling uh, financially, so I could see where people would be holding off. And then the other thing, too, is I know in my case, I've kind of fallen in love again with cooking, and especially with grilling, to, to where I am much more willing to stay home and cook for myself. That's Oh, that is my point wholeheartedly. I'm with you. I think the idea that less than half Americans say they will eat at restaurants within a month, I think uh, that the people of not going back to restaurants is going to be an overwhelming number for a good long time. I think there are some people who are totally risk tolerant and they'll go out and they'll do whatever and they're not worried at all. But I think in the main, when you talk about jobs, when you talk about the economics, when you talk about money, they're going to be like, you know what? That going out to name the place just isn't worth it to me. We talk about the spending on cigars, right? And the spending on cigars has gone up because you have disposable income in a way that's gone up because they haven't, people haven't been going out to eat, haven't been spending the money on gas and things like that. I think that's something that does remain as a vestige mm-hmm. for a longer period of time. And I think we're going to find that the hospitality industry has more and more issues coming its way. I do too, and also I think that part of this, they, they talk about, okay, when the curve gets flattened, 
we already had many parts of the country that reopened. Some didn't really completely close off, so people were right. going out. True. Oh, so, true enough. But then there were other people. You know, if you listen to this podcast for for a while, you know my situation where I was put in. Uh, solitary confinement, if you will. You know, I was put in lockdown right. uh, precautionary. Yeah, if you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Eat, Drink, Smoke, you can go back and find that uh, that episode. I was, Otherwise, you might be listening to the radio show, in which case, hey, how are you? Go subscribe <laughs> on Apple Podcasts, Eat, Drink, Smoke. But back in February, I was put in self-quarantine for eight days because I was at a conference that one person who was attending at the time uh, was in self-quarantine. So when I was locked up for eight days in a room, couldn't really leave, Man, I couldn't wait to get out. And I think right. you're going to see some of that where people are going to say, I, I've been cooped up. I need to get out. But there's such a fear factor that gets pushed on people that, it's that I think that's going to temper some of it. And then the other part of it is people are going to temper themselves, right? You take a look at some of the businesses out there. Brooks Brothers, 202 years old, went bankrupt. Now... Just because they go bankrupt doesn't mean the brand is disappearing. Brooks Brothers is a brand. They've dressed every president, right? They're going to continue to be around one way or another, even if you get it in the corner at Target. Good Lord, I hope so, because where am I going to get my clothes, Tony? I understand. You're a very fashionable man. (laughs) But then there are those things where people are like, you know what? That's not where I need to spend my money. I don't need uh, to, to be a part of it. Where more of this, I think, economic hit comes from is what's happening in college sports, Right, you've got the Big Ten that is now saying they're not gonna. They're only doing conference stuff, mm-hmm. right? I think that I think that's it. Did I? Did I? Am I reading that right? They're only gonna do conference stuff. You're seeing then, that, and then you're seeing conferences completely scrapping their entire fall. The schedule. Ivy League, yes. The Ivy League has said we're done here. Stanford has eliminated twelve sports, and unfortunately, wrestling is amongst them. I love amateur. I'm not talking about the pro stuff, unless it has the Gordon Solie. You, you know, <laughs> unless Gordon Solie and Jimmy Snook are in the conversation, I am out. Completely. Don't ask me about The Miz or don't ask me about The Undertaker. I got nothing for you. Don't ask about Jimmy Snuka's private life either. Jimmy Snuka's, oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, too soon. Too soon. Um, The Big Ten Conference announced that they will play conference games only across the board in all fall sports, which throws a lot of people, you know, right out. Sorry. No, 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 no dollars for you. Well, that's the big thing is, you know, you, unfortunately, you're not going to see those marquee matchups in the beginning of the season where a Big Ten team will play an SEC team. But what really gets hurt are these smaller schools, like when Appalachian State goes to the big house in Michigan and they're going to get a huge payday supposedly to lose, but end up, you know, right. like they did 20 years ago. They, they shocked Michigan. But that's where you're going to see revenue really drop and or, or, and smaller schools are really going to be hurt like you said the Ivy League schools are completely canceling uh, their their fall sports and these smaller schools who are used to these big paydays going to the big schools now remember we're talking football here we're talking basketball right. here those are the only things that can that will definitively survive but not for every school because when you have these these universities and these university towns right where that don't have the sports and people aren't coming out the the disaster is untold and I will tell you that I am one of the guys who takes a look at the people who do wrestling or the people who do fencing or gymnastics and realize it's over. It, it may not come back because if, if the, the two big ones, football and basketball, aren't generating the dollars and the TV revenues and all that kind of stuff, and they, they may still have TV revenues, don't get me wrong, people are going to watch from home, the effect rolls downhill and the domino, and you should expect universities not to offer the same plethora of sports that they did 
and really take a look at those D2 and D3 schools and whether or not they actually survive as institutions. And what about the businesses that surround these stadiums that count on those revenue? Towns? Yeah, those, those college towns? In, in those college towns. I've been to, just a couple of years ago, I met family in Ann Arbor, not for a Michigan game, but we ended up meeting to watch a, a Lions game. Oh, that's hilarious. At a sports bar. You're a Lions the, fan? Unfortunately. Show everybody the tattoo. Uh, Show no, everybody I'm the too, Lions tattoo. busy drinking my whiskey. Hey, how many playoff games have you won in the past one 40 years? One in my lifetime. 1992. <laughs> Don't get me started. It was but, a cold winter day. <laughs> at the Pontiac Silverdome. No, uh, but there. I was at a sports bar near the big house in Ann Arbor. Those sports bars, they count on foot traffic from these football games and they may lose a lot we don't even know yet if there's going to be fans at these games right and apparently we're going to lose some games this year wait they're talking about cutting the schedules well i mean if they aren't going to have games That's outside true. of the conference gonna, outside the conference they're going to cut two or three games uh, we're just at the beginning we are just at the beginning and there, there's a question of whether or not this is sensical or not now if you ask me I tend towards the not, but I'm not the guy who's going to get sued when it happens. And that that's what they're balancing. Oh, that is completely what they're balancing. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. This is Eat, Drink, Smoke. Eat, Drink, Smoke, your bourbon, cigar, food, radio show. The one that you love, the one that you told mom about. I'm Tony Katz. That's Fingers Malloy on Facebook, Eat, Drink, Smoke. Twitter, go Eat, Drink, Smoke. Instagram, Eat, Drink, Smoke podcast. Why don't we have just one name all the way across? Because we're terrible. <laughs> it is Fingers Malloy. It is the news of the week. Well, Tony, we've been sharing some bad news in the cigar world. We've the also last been sharing of- some not so good bourbon. Oh, there's that. You, I, that's why I thought you were going. No, no, I'm no, sorry. No, no. We've been sharing some bet. It's the Old Forester 1910 is what we're drinking, and I am not impressed. <laughs> and at $60 a bottle, I am definitely not right. buying. Well, sorry, we, Old Forester. I love you. Well, we haven't been pressed and impressed with the uh, states of Virginia and Michigan in the last few weeks no. because they have raised their cigar taxes. But here's a little bit of good news, Tony, from Half Wheel. A federal appeals court has ruled that the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, that's the FDA, Tony. Is it? Yes. Who uh, knew? They cannot require warning labels for any cigar or tobacco product. Now, wait a second. It's cigars and pipes. I don't think it has anything to do with tobacco products because they can do it for cigarettes. This is about cigars and pipes, and this is about the fundamental difference between the two things, which is some of the most frustrating stuff out there. What they wanted to do was take these labels, these warning labels, like as big as your face, and just plaster them on a cigar box. But you've seen cigar boxes. It's artwork. That's all part of it. Artwork just permeates the entire cigar world, and they just wanted to slap it on there because first it's just just pure ignorance. It's FDA ignorance. It's government ignorance because they think that cigars are cigarettes, and they think they're interchangeable, and they're not interchangeable, as everybody with a brain knows. So this, this decision is absolutely positively wonderful because this would have been very damaging 
to the cigar world, just like we're seeing the FDA try and get into this world of, well, if you have different sizes, you have to send in an application for each size. So let's say you have a blend, right? You know, you got your binder, you got your filler, it's, it's, all, it's all rolled. Well, now you want to make different sizes. You want a Toro, you want a Churchill, you know what I mean? You, you, you want what you want, different Vitolas uh, of the cigar, different shapes, and, and you get different kind of flavor profiles from those shapes, and also there's different time elements to smoking the cigar, things like that. Well, they wanted you to put in an application for every size. So if you want four sizes of a cigar, you know, it's a government application. You know how many hours you're paying somebody to handle that for you? Lawyers. Yeah, it's not like you just photocopy and you white out Toro and you put in Churchill size. It's not the way it works. Right. It's government. And the cost would have just destroyed, and it will destroy the cigar industry. So any move that gets the government to not be crazy, and this is where you got to be in touch with your senators and with your congresspeople, because they got to be all over knowing this. They can't screw with cigars. Premium cigars are not cigarettes. Well, that's one of the problems that you, you see in government, is they try to lump a whole bunch of things under one umbrella. Like you said, oh, uh, cigars and pipe tobacco and uh, cigarettes and uh, vaping. We'll just all regulate Chewing it tobacco, Chewing all of it. Tobacco, oh, it's all the same. Uh, and, and then there's the argument that, oh, it's it's being marketed to children. It's so ridiculous. When you buy a, a box of Drew Estate cigars, they don't throw a, a prize in it like it's a, ba- a box of Cracker Jacks. You know, no. they're not marketing it to kids. So, no, this is very good news, and uh, it's good to see because, like I said, we've we've shared some bad news from the states of Michigan and Virginia about yeah, taxes going and, up. And I don't know yet where the response is going to be on those and the doubling of, of the cigar tax. What we need to be keeping an eye on is whether or not those stores stay in business. We see cigar sales up, but you now increase a tax about, like, $2 a stick. You might see some really unfortunate unfortunate uh, things come from it. Let's turn our attention to the automotive industry, Tony. An estimated 100 employees of Ford Motor Company have asked the automaker to reconsider building and selling police vehicles in light of the controversy related to police brutality and social justice, the Detroit Free Press confirmed late Wednesday. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Employees went to Ford and said, don't sell to police stations? Yeah, yes. The, the issue has been raised with Ford executives by employees during at least one virtual town hall and a series of letters sent to executives since the May 25th death of George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis police. And so what did Ford say? Did Ford say, we'll look into it? Or did Ford say, go have a nice day? Ford is right now doing what they can to hope this goes away. And to be fair, we're talking about 100 employees who raised concerns either via a letter or a town hall at a company of 85,000 employees. Are they the raising concerns or are they, want, are, they prove, are they virtue signaling, right? We all know what virtue signaling is. It's like when you say something to make people um, assume that you're really caring and, and loving, right? Sometimes it's referred to as woke, right? It's, Being woke is the same thing. Um, it, it, which is this? I mean, I don't know what to do with this information except... Like, like bang my head against the wall. Uh, well, you know who else wants to bang their head against the wall? Executives at the Ford Motor Company. <laughs> because they want this to go away. Because obviously, it's very lucrative to build these vehicles for police departments around the country. Also, uh, you know, there there's backlash when you talk about... Uh, you know, negative feelings towards law enforcement. At the same time, you've got a segment of the population, a large segment of the population, who wants some sort of law enforcement reform. 
where I think most Americans get on board with that. But, you know, going from there to defunding the police and we as a company shouldn't build vehicles for the police department. That's a bridge too far for a lot of people. Well, I I never like to get here like like overly political. So let's not take it political and let's go commonsensical. Uh, Does Ford sell vehicles in China? I want to know how many employees have stood up to say we shouldn't sell vehicles in China. What has happened to the Hong Kongers, the people of Hong Kong or Hong Kongers, is we are watching, as Americans, we watched this autonomous area become destroyed. Beijing now has a security office. They are cracking down on people. Free speech in Hong Kong has gone away. It has now all been absorbed. There is no longer, you know, two systems, one China. That's gone. That was the deal when the UK gave Hong Kong back to the Chinese as a protectorate in 1997. That was the deal, two systems, one China. Well, it was a system when it represented 23% of the GDP of China. Now, Hong Kong represents about 3, 3.2% of the GDP. So it's really easy just to say, you know what, forget it. Put the boot on their neck and take over. We watched it happen. These people were begging for freedom. Begging. Now, th- you know, this also plays into the whole NBA. And notice how quiet they were uh, during, during those days. Oh, I don't really know about this. They, they tried to stay away from it because they make money from playing in, in China. What money does Ford make from selling vehicles in China? And what of these people, these, these auto manufacturers, the, the, the people who work on the, on the line, have they said anything about selling there? Or does Ford sell in Saudi Arabia? And how do they feel about women's rights in Saudi Arabia? It's not that I want to sit here and yell at these workers and just scream at them. I'm asking, have they asked all the questions or is their virtue signaling or is their their wokeness selective? Selective wokeness, which is copyright, Tony Katz, all rights reserved, <laughs> uh, is a serious problem. Take a look at the wide gamut, the wide swath. And also, if we can, and, and I think, I don't know if I speak for you. I, I think I do. The idea that, you know... I don't mind changes to policing. I don't mind conversations about it. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. Right. The idea that all cops are bad, that's just not factual. That's, not, that's nowhere near science. Right. It's ugly to say such a thing. Well, yeah, and again, when you see stories like this and you hear 100 employees out of 85,000, it reminds me of sometimes what the media will do with a story where they'll go to Twitter and they'll find three or four tweets and they'll say, oh, social media outrage today. No, and they'll right. run with the story. A hundred employees out of a company in the United States that employs 85,000. I think what you're going to see here is Ford executives are going to tr- kind of try to walk the tightrope uh, and try to run out the clock and hope that this goes they away. They shouldn't. They should say this is a contract that keeps us employed. Police officers do an incredibly tough job, and most of them do a great job of it. It's we're, We don't think that our job is to attack officers when cities and municipalities can work on policing where they live much better than we can. Our job is to provide them the safest vehicles possible to do the best job possible to help as many people as possible, and we're proud of that. They should go the other way. Go right down and say, this is who we are as a company, and we trust these cities to do it right. This is Eat, Drink, Smoke. Only Atlantic City can figure out how to out Atlantic City (laughs) 
Atlantic City. It is Eat, Drink, Smoke. I'm Tony Katz. That is Fingers Malloy on Facebook, Eat, Drink, Smoke, and subscribe to the podcast, Eat, Drink, Smoke, Apple Podcast, if you don't mind. Now, we are drinking the Old Forester 1910, and when I say drinking it, I mean it is sitting off to the side, and hopefully I won't have to look at it directly. I was going to say, we, I'm the only one drinking it. Oh, was I not a fan. I mean, it's got this really beautiful dark color, almost with a reddish tint. It's got this syrupy kind of look to it, but the nose was just brutalizing, absolutely brutalizing, (laughs) and the flavor was like cough syrup mixed with some kind of herbalist's mistake. <laughs> I've, I, I like Old Forest. I like other things from Old Forester, but I won't lie to you. We'll never lie to you about the reviews that we do. It's, it's a 46.5% alcohol by volume, so 93 proof. It played much stronger than that. It just did not have a flavor profile that made me say, yeah, this is at least worth trying. And at $60 a bottle, I won't even allow it in your liquor cabinet. At $20 a bottle, yeah, I wouldn't allow it in a liquor cabinet. Uh, and, but don't let it shake you from the old Forrester world. Right. They do some really good stuff, and we'll review other things. If you want to see what we've reviewed in the past, that's why you subscribe, Eat, Drink, Smoke on Apple Podcasts. Now, Fingers Malloy, you're the resident gambler here. Yes. You're the guy who has a problem. A love. No, not a problem, because problems are serious. Right. 1-800-9-WITH-IT <laughs> if you have a gambling problem. Uh, you, are, you have a love. Yes, I don't leave a casino wearing a barrel. Correct. Because you also don't live in a cartoon (laughs) from the Tom and Jerry days. By the way, nice nice aging yourself right there. Atlantic City is now going to say that casinos can reopen, but they cannot have eating, drinking, or smoking. (laughs) So if you want to have a casino in the basement of your local church... Nope, nope, nope. They'd probably allow drinking. I don't know where you'd put this thing. If this is like this is like having a casino in North Korea, right? This is ridiculous. This is like having a blind pig back in the twenties without booze. It's like, oh, here's some music in the background, and we'll let you gamble a little bit, but you can't eat. Uh, oh, is that a, a Satan stick in your hand? Get that out <laughs> and for, forget about the booze. Oh, this is absolutely insane because Atlantic City, Tony is one of the places where you go and when you gamble, the fine folks at the casino will look at you and say, oh, you're gambling. What would you like to drink? And your answer would not be the old Forester that we're drinking right now. Uh, But they will give you free drinks. And if you're gambling. So I really shouldn't say they're free. Have you ever been to Atlantic City? No, I have not. You want to go? Yeah, not now. If I can't can't, can't drink and I can't uh, have a cigar... Atlantic City, so I grew up, I grew up in Jersey. Mm-hmm. So Atlantic City, at least then, sets in like the 80s, right? Uh, uh-huh. 70s, 80s, 90s, um, was at least cool and fun and interesting. And people still came from New York and, and did the whole thing. And then there was the whole Trump mystique of things. And then some things weren't so great. The Taj Mahal, things like that. And then you started getting casinos like Foxwoods up in Connecticut. And, so, and that just knocked uh, Atlantic City around. And Atlantic City could never get over... The hump of of what it was, which it was three and a half blocks of just majesty and everything surrounding it. It's why, all right, if you had to get those houses and hotels in Monopoly, you would. <laughs> you know, you'd do the Ventnor Avenue if you needed to. Right. Uh, but that was it. Um, 
they've never really figured it out. They've never really properly recovered. It continues to have this. Oh, the slide. hurricane too, right? Didn't there, well, there Superstorm Sandy. Yeah. So that was a few years ago. I will tell you, people don't talk enough about how that storm was called Superstorm Sandy. It was like the supercell of activities and this confluence of things. It beat the snot, beat the daylights out of the Jersey Shore. I, I, I used to live in Bradley Beach and in Belmar. And the areas I used to walk with my then fiance, now now wife, gone, obliterated, whole houses moved off the foundations. No one really ever discussed exactly how bad it was. So yeah, there was damage from that too. I don't think that damage is as bad as what Governor Phil Murphy is doing doing here. It's one thing to be safe. It's another thing to say we're going to claim to be open. But we're not open, open. Well, and then they throw this at these casinos at the last minute. And, you know, you've got one casino. Uh, what do you mean last minute? Well, they, the, the, many casinos had planned to open on Thursday, um, the first day the state would let them. Uh, but this this ruling, I believe, they, they threw at these casinos well after they started planning on reopening. So they, they throw this at these casinos when they were already planning to be able to reopen, you know, maybe with some social distancing, maybe, you know, closing uh, off every other slot machine. And the, and then the Fed, not the Fed, state officials say, oh, by the way, uh, when you reopen, you can't have smoking and we drinking. We've seen this in so many places. This is what they did in Texas to bars that mm-hmm. were in restaurants that were going to open, and they brought them back down. They have done this in so many places. You order the food, you order the booze, you get yourself set, and the next thing you know, what are they supposed to do? How are you supposed to survive this stuff? Now, Vegas is having a secondary problem, but I don't know if I believe it. The story is, is that the Vegas casinos that have opened, you had 831 of the almost 1,000 casinos welcoming back customers. And now everyone's talking about second wave. You can even see me do the air quotes. (laughs) By the way, this is not denial of coronavirus. Don't get me wrong. It's that I don't understand how you get second wave if we're not even through first wave. Right. So what are we actually saying? It's... It's just this, it's this wordplay that's going on, and, and it's not helping anybody. It's not helping. It doesn't help us all. It doesn't help on the, on, the, on the medical. It doesn't help on the science. It doesn't help on the business. It doesn't help, it doesn't help Americans. It's, it's just awful. So they're already thinking that they may, have to, um, they may have to check out. They may have to accept the fact that they're not going to be open for long. And you might see from Steve Sisolak, who's the governor of Nevada, more closures. Sorry, guys. Can't be open. Yeah, we don't have an uptick of cases. Yeah, but can't risk it. What do you mean risk it? These people are going to be out of a job. Oh, well. Well, and, and again, you have businesses trying to plan around all of this. We talked about this several weeks ago. What are the buffets going to look like in Las Vegas? And you're already seeing major casinos like when they've opened their buffets back. And it's buffet-style food, but you're ordering from a waiter or a waitress who will bring the food. So it's all the stuff you would expect from a buffet. Um, they have a little uh, iPad. They'll take your order right. and in a lot a quicker time bring your food than if you had to, you know, you were doing a traditional sit-down restaurant. And they're not having menus. You, you use a QR reader. You, you read the code and the menu will pop right up on your phone. So they're not handing out. So businesses are adapting. But they've invested a lot of money to reopen. And now all of a sudden the rug is going to be pulled from underneath them again. And this is food, Tony. I mean, this isn't, uh, this isn't stock that you can keep in your warehouse. A lot of it's going to spoil. Uh, there's a financial 
uh, hit that's going to be taken by these casinos. You, you're left with wondering whether we're just we're just doing this to ourselves. It's it, there. As if the desire is to just beat each other up and find ways to be frightened and find ways to make things not work. And it's right. You question whether it's political, whether all this is about an election year and all that kind of jazz. Uh, But mostly uh, we're talking about people's lives. I can't get over it. I can't get past it. We're talking about people's lives. You know, when we record. We, we're not in a studio. We are actually on site in a cigar lounge where we live in Indianapolis, Indiana, right? So this is Blend Bar Cigar, blendbarcigar.com. And, and when we travel and we bring the show places, we do it not in radio studios. We do it in cigar lounges. This is, this is home. This is where we want to be. Cigar lounges are mom and pop places, as we've discussed. Well, don't get me wrong. Casinos are big corporate entities. But the people who work there are the people who are your neighbors in Vegas or in Atlanta, wherever else. Why? What is the fascination almost with finding ways to tell them screw off? I can't. I can't. I can't just accept it. It's all crazy, uh, you know. And it's really hard in Vegas right now to get a Lyft or an Uber. And, yeah. and it's because the Lyft and Uber drivers they don't want to come off of the unemployment. So a lot of Lyft and Uber drivers are staying home and they're not. Oh, that's a whole nother. So it's, that's a whole nother. It's going to be, it feels like it's going to be years before we recover. That scares me to no end. But I think that we're the people who can. This is Eat, Drink, Smoke. Eat, Drink, Smoke, where we eat the fine food, drink the fine bourbon, smoke the fine cigars. And this is the Diamond Crown, Julius Caesar. This is the Toro. I have been a fan. Julius Caesar is, well, it's J.C. Newman. That's the company. And this cigar has itself just a perfect level of punch as I see it. It isn't my go-to. It isn't always in my humidor. But what it is, I think, is excellent. Solid construction, solid flavor that has a really, really good intensity. If you're a first-time cigar smoker, do not smoke this cigar. (laughs) Let it be something you work up to. I'm Tony Katz. That is Fingers Malloy. Great to be with you. Now, this is a Toro, right? So cigars are different shapes and different sizes, sometimes referred to as the Vitola, V-I-T-O-L-A. This is the Toro size right here. So we're talking about... A six by 52. What does that mean? The six, sometimes a five and a half, sometimes a seven, you know, depending on the size of the cigar, that's the length. So a six means it's six inches long. Tee-hee. Does that make you, does that make you laugh, Fingers Malloy? Tee-hee. And the 52 is the ring gauge. So that is a reference to how thick around the cigar is. Tee-hee. That also makes you laugh. So a 64 ring gauge is a full one inch around. 52 is a nice place to be. That's where I think people see as, quote-unquote, the standard cigar size. Very often you'll see in, in American life, we avoid the, the Lancero. That's the longer, thinner cigar, almost a 38 ring gauge. Flavor in a, in a Lancero is exceptional. I'm a big fan. I think Rocky Patel makes some very good uh, Lanceros. I, I think that LaFleur makes some very good Lanceros. I like the Lancero. I like that flavor that comes out of it. Don't avoid it because you think it's like like, like feminine or petite or I don't even know what people would call it or not manly. This is more of the standard cigar size and it has a very, very good mouthfeel because when you get to those 60s, those 58s, man, you got you to... Gotta, 
you got to get around that thing, and it's not the easiest thing to do. So let's break it down, Fingers Malloy. This is an Ecuadorian Habano Havana seed wrapper that is Dominican in the binder and the filler. Now, as for the price of these things, man, I've seen it all over the map. I have seen it absolutely everywhere. I've seen it at $11, $12 a stick. I've seen it at $18 a stick. And I have absolutely no idea why it is. Uh, we're just into it. You always break your cigar into thirds. First third, second third, final third. Don't forget to take notes as you go. What did you eat that day? What was the weather like that day? What was your mood like that day? Which could all have an effect on the cigar and start taking notes. You've just started. We've just just lit up. Where are your fingers? I'm already loving it. Um, you know, we've got a long way to go, obviously. It's creamy, uh, leather notes. Uh, I'm getting a little bit of white pepper on it at this point. Uh, and it's, it's just fabulous. The draw, very easy so far, uh, it, even with my bad cut. You got a, a bad cut? Yeah, user error on my part. You know you can recut it. There's yeah, no rule. I know, but it's it, but it's I'm I'm enjoying it. The, the it's a it's a very smooth easy draw at this point. Lots of smoke. Um, I'm very happy with this. But the one thing that I wanted to bring up Tony, you've brought this up on several occasions about how it's really cool when you when you're smoking something like this or you're you're drinking a fine bourbon if there's a story behind it, a really good story. And the the JC Newman story is such a cool story. Right. The, the family immigrates uh, in the 1890s. They settle in Cleveland. He's J.C. Newman is like 14 years old, turns to his mom and says, Mom, I want to uh, you know, get into the cigar industry. I want to learn to, to roll cigars. She pays uh, $3 a month so he could learn the cigar trade. And he gets hired in... $3 a month in like 1910 or something? No, I know, 1905 a, 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 or something? Yeah, 1890s. So, Dude. Three, That's a ton of money. Three dollars a month. So after completing the, his apprenticeship, uh, he works as a journeyman cigar maker for the next three years. And then there's a severe recession in the United States. He gets laid off, loses his job. He borrows fifty bucks, goes into the family barn, makes five hundred cigars for a local grocer. He's like nineteen years old, and the J.C. Newman cigar empire is born. Tony, nineteen years old. I was going to community college and watching too much Beavis and Butthead. Right, this guy builds a cigar empire. You know how he did it? Beavis and Butthead wasn't around. <laughs> That's, right. That's it. Now J.C. Newman is now in Tampa, Florida. J.C. Newman is one of the like like the last of of the American uh, maids. They still actually do factory rolled, machine rolled cigars, as far as I know, which is a really I mean, that's cool. And Tampa, that's Cigar City, USA, right? For, if you still walk down the streets of Ybor City, specifically it's Ybor City, Y-B-O-R, that is Cigar City, USA. I should say Ybor City, not Tampa. And you still have people rolling and doing the things not as much as, as they used to. Um, what are you going to get from this cigar? Well, you're going to uh, engage a couple of different things. Certainly there are going to be uh, some chocolatey notes that do get in. Certainly because of the Dominican there's going to be a, a, a nice bit of, of spice uh, that digs in. I have had people compare this to um, the God of Fire. People know the God of Fire. I actually have one here uh, with me uh, that I'll be maybe maybe smoking later. The Siri B uh, right here. You know what? Smoke them. If, if you're an experienced smoker, compare them side by side, like like one day after another, and take notes. And see uh, where you're at. You talk about getting a white pepper uh, uh, on this fingers. Maybe, maybe I would just have said pepper. I don't know if I'm good enough to be able to uh, 
to, to split that uh, di- differentiation. But is it there and is it big in terms of the spice? For me, it is. And the one thing that I'm doing, because we're, sm- we're also drinking the Forrester, the 1910, and I think it's awful. Uh, the <laughs> Not guy, a good pairing. The guys here, you know, we actually broadcast from a cigar lounge uh, here in Indianapolis. It's called Blend Bar Cigar, blendbarcigar.com. They're like, really? You didn't like it? Like, really? I, I like Old Forrester. I did not like the 1910 at all. I ordered coffee. I know I'm, I'm a nut about coffee and a cigar in that mix. I think this is going to go well and maybe bring down a bit of that spice. But there's a little bit of cream going on. There's a little bit of, I sometimes call it grasses. Sometimes people call it wood, like a cedar. Yeah. yeah a hay almost happening, which is a flavor I'm starting to appreciate more and more. But mostly I appreciate the build. I don't see the cigar going out anytime soon. But with the strength that's already on there, man, this should take you a while to smoke. This should be a 90-minute-plus smoke. And for a 6-inch cigar, for me, 90 minutes should go pretty quick. This will probably take a little bit longer. This is a nice, even burn so far, and uh, I haven't had to ash yet, and we've been smoking for a little while. But you're right. When we talk about you know, the, the notes, I'm amazed at how some people, the, the things that they can pick out. I, I saw someone describe this, and they said that they, they get red pepper out of it. And I don't know if I can yet distinguish no, that I, I sort can't. of thing. And I've been smoking for, for, for a good long time. But it's, it's, I think that some of it is affect, and some of it is very, very personal. People develop these flavors, and that's how they associate it. And then it gets into reviews and things like that, or into the, into the consciousness, if you will, and that's it. Never, ever be turned off by that. Never think, well, I, I won't like that. It's a, it's a review. It's an idea. It's a thought. It isn't you, right? Somewhere there's out there somebody who's saying, Tony, you don't like the 1910? The 1910 Forester is amazing. And the answer is, no, it's not. You're terrible. But you may still <laughs> like it, and you can therefore go about doing it. I'm never going to be the guy who, who tells you no. All we can do is give you our best on it. The Julius Caesar Diamond Crown is absolutely worth smoking, just not for the beginner. This is Eat, Drink, Smoke. There is a very large difference between grilling vegetables and grilling vegan. Grilling vegetables is delicious. Grilling vegan probably isn't, but I'll let you do what you want. This is Eat, Drink, Smoke. I'm Tony Katz. That is Fingers Malloy. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Eat, Drink, Smoke. People, make, I think, make this mistake often. You know, they don't understand or they don't try to to grill vegetables. I love grilled vegetables, specifically grilled corn, and maybe it's because we're Indiana guys, right? We broadcast from Indianapolis, and the corn here is just absolutely sensational, along with a bunch of other foods. There's a myriad of things. You are my grilling expert, Fingers Malloy, and you know nothing. But you have. You, Thank you. You, you researched. <laughs> you, you, you found uh, the grill. And all, if people follow you at Fingers Malloy Radio uh, on Facebook, yeah, is that where you are? Yeah, and, and Instagram specifically is where I really post the Are you Fingers pictures. Malloy Radio on Instagram too? I'm Fingers Malloy on Instagram. Fingers Malloy on Instagram. It's just him and his grilling, and go uh, follow it. And then we have some other friends who have become insanely good at grilling. I admit I don't have the patience. I don't have the patience for it to do the charcoal fed. I don't have the patience for the green egg, although I want to try them all. I have the patience for a natural gas grill. I'm an awful human being. That's all it is. Put heat to meat and then eat. 
That's it. Ugh. Heat, meat, eat. All I'm looking for. And I don't even need that much heat. But the, the, the grill I have, it gets to 225 degrees in four minutes, Tony. I can't. I, stop. Don't try and sell me on it. We'll get to that another day. But there are a myriad of really good vegetables that I don't think people try. People are really used to doing, you know, corn, right? The one I brought up, I think grilled corn is just wonderful. Grilled potatoes is absolutely positively terrific, depending on the marinades that you kind of use. I'm a ridiculously dumb fan of cauliflower, right? Now, I'm not Are you the guy that does the the fake mashed potatoes? No, I don't think you should, right? But I think that some people who don't want that in their lives are trying to do less carbs. I don't mind it. I don't think it's the end of the world. Just uh, cauliflower rice I had for the first time visiting my parents. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, all right, this is okay. I could see it. But I, I, rice is rice, and there are times where it just calls for it. But the idea of what uh, the people at realsimple.com call a cauliflower steak, which is taking the whole head, and instead of just getting the florets, slicing it in these, in, in these thick chunks, and then uh, you know oiling it up and then grilling it, that I get. That is good. Uh, we often do Brussels sprouts or, or broccoli, and I, I'm a big oven guy, right? I do briskets in the oven. I'm, I, I don't even look at me. I'm not looking at you. I can't, yeah. I, I can't look at you. I, I absolutely positively <laughs> do it. Why won't you look in my eyes when I make you a brisket? <laughs> I will put up my oven brisket to anything you do. Ugh. Anything that you do. Ugh. It's a completely different kind of flying but the idea that I'm going to judge people for it is garbage. If the guy from Franklin Barbecue wants to come up here and slap me around, that's fine. <laughs> I'm not going to deny that it's a different thing. I'm saying I do a very good job with it on the oven in the same way I love cast iron. Yeah. I love cast iron. <laughs> I do. But the idea of cutting it thick into like inch and a half, basically steaks, and grilling it that way, I get that. That's a, that's a fun, different way to do a side and a different way to do the presentation because people forget how much eating you do with your eyes. It's a really, really good look. Do you? I mean, in all the grilling you're now doing, do you do vegetables? No. <laughs> it's meat. But I have seen what you're talking about with portobello mushrooms, right? Love it. You get that big portobello mushroom, and it, and it looks like an eight-ounce sirloin and you throw it on the grill and a lot of people are into that and I, I can understand that um, do you, when you grill corn do you grill it in the husk or do you take everything I do off? take it out yeah I do take it out I do that too but you know the only time I really do grilling when it comes to vegetables it's just the side for the steak 100 oh oh I'm with you I'm not doing it as, as a main course it's for me it's always a side too mm-hmm. absolutely always a side it's just that it you forget that you've got this tool for other things other than the meat. And I'm not saying don't eat the meat. That, that, that is not being said uh, by eat, drink, smoke. It's just that you can do the, these other things with it. And I think that, that cauliflower is a, is a good one when you do it that way. Green onions. Really, you, get, you, you can kind of... I, I don't know if you want to say you want to caramelize it up. You just char it the right way. Olive oil, salt, pepper. And you get this, this really, really fun and, and good flavor. Asparagus, too. Yeah, I've, I haven't done asparagus. I just haven't. The one thing that people do that I don't understand, and maybe it's because I don't like peaches, they grill peaches. They grill fruit. And I've never, I've never seen it. Like, I, I've never, like, felt it. I, the peach 
is to me the most awkward, nonsensical, all pass fruit of uh, that that that's out there. I just don't I just don't see the appeal and the allure. I've gone into the country and I've ate a lot of peaches. Is that right? Yes. You should make that into a song. <laughs> no, I I don't get that either. Um, and I'm I'm seeing people if we're veering away from vegetables for a minute, doing a lot of the side stuff on the grill, and I haven't attempted that. Like make a big tin of mac and cheese on the grill, baking stuff, baking meatloaf in the grill. I see a lot of people doing that. Are now. those like the green egg people? Because those, the green egg people will tell you there's absolutely nothing you can't do in a green egg. You can grill, you can bake, you can saute, you can make a 74 Pinto. There's nothing <laughs> that a green egg can't do. Those people are cultists. And I'm not even saying that in a bad way. They're like, I, I thought I knew what life was. I yep. thought I knew what love was. Then I got a green egg. Well, and then I found out. I only just learned. Yeah, you find people, when they fall in love with their grill, and I've kind of fallen in love with my grill, you start making things that you wouldn't normally think about making on the grill. I put pizzas on the other night. Should we talk about what you... Because you do a charcoal-fed mm-hmm. grill. So you have, to, you have to light the charcoal. Yes. And is it an electric start to yeah, lighting it? it? No, it, you manually light it, and it's a chimney, and, and it's gravity-fed. So you fill this really tall chimney full of charcoal, and then there's a little place at the bottom where there's a grate and you light the charcoal underneath the grate and as the charcoal burns it falls through the grate into an ash bucket once you light that grill it takes maybe a minute to get to the point where it can start uh, getting the temp then there's an electronic keypad that is uh, attached to a fan that you can regulate the temperature and that's when the so it's really low already too complicated for me Already too complicated for me. You load the chimney, you light the charcoal, and you dial the temperature up. There's loading, there's chimneys. Oh, good Lord. I I can't have it. Um, Grilled vegetables is fine. This, less fine. Heinz. DIY creams kits, which I'm pretty sure is going to get me thrown off radio. (laughs) C-R-E-A-M-Z. It allows purchasers to create their own Heinz condiment-flavored frozen dessert. So you can use saucy sauce, which is a mayo ketchup sauce, and you can turn that into ice cream. A kit comes with a recipe card. It comes with a reusable tub, a golden spoon, and a golden ice cream scoop. Oh, that sounds awful. Does it come with a garbage bag that you throw it in immediately right. after you purchase it? I've seen some wild flavors of ice cream. Buffalo chicken ice cream. Which just sounds disgusting. Yes, it's trying too hard. Yeah, exactly. I, I, Ketchup-flavored ice cream? Mayonnaise-flavored ice cream? The question is, why did they think it would work, right? There's the gimmick and there's the shtick, but there is no long-term to this. It was worth the investment to never, ever have a product that people really want. That, blo- that, blows, that blows my mind. This is Eat, Drink, Smoke. Eat, drink, smoke. It is your eating, drinking, smoking radio show. I'm Tony Katz, and that's Fingers Malloy. We are on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe there in case you miss any part of it. Eat, drink, smoke. Write a review and leave a five-star review. We are smoking the Julius Caesar, the Diamond Crown Julius Caesar. This is a full-bodied smoke, and it's just absolutely wonderful. Now, if you're new to cigars... Do not smoke this cigar. (laughs) This is not the first cigar you should have right out of the gate. If you're used to cigars, then most definitely this is something that you should get into your life. Now, the price does indeed vary. I've seen it at $11, $12 a stick. I've seen it at $18 a stick. Some people will talk about it at $20 a smoke. 
even at twenty dollars a smoke, it's it's fine. But when you can find it for less, make sure that you do. This is definitely a full-bodied smoke. This is Ecuadorian uh, in uh, the wrapper. It is Dominican in the binder and in the filler. And I enjoy every bit of it. I'm actually smoking it faster than I thought I would, which is weird because I really thought this would be a good 90-minute-plus kind of smoke because of the strength. Maybe I'm getting better. I mean, I've smoked cigars for a good long time, Fingers Malloy. That's, That's Fingers Malloy, by the way. I'm Tony Katz. Um, I've been smoking uh, for years and trying things and experimenting with things. This... This is a very enjoyable cigar, even though I tend to the Nicaraguans, the leathers, the earths, the dirt kind of kind of flavorings. Uh, the spice here is working for me just fine. And paired with the coffee, the French press that we're now doing, I couldn't be happier. Much better than the pairing with the whiskey. That's the 1910 Forester, Old Forester. I like Old Forester. I'm not a fan of the Old Forester 1910. News of the week, Fingers Malloy, what do you got? Do you TikTok, Tony? What? Do you TikTok, Tony? Is that what the kids do with their rock and roll music? Well, that's what they do. They TikTok, Tony. Well, there's talk that in the United States, TikTok may be a thing of the past. Very soon, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo expanded on his considerations to ban the mobile app TikTok, saying it was only one of a number of Chinese companies that need to be held accountable for threatening Americans' data, but experts on China are reading the tea leaves that a ban on TikTok is imminent as the United States puts pressure on Chinese companies. A ban on TikTok is 100% coming. Even Apple has noticed that the that TikTok, which is owned by a Chinese company called ByteDance, it was actually created in the U.S. So the, the app originally was musically and it was about people creating short videos of music. It was a takeoff of Vine, if you will, which went by the wayside. Um, it's now owned by a company called ByteDance. And what they have noticed in the exploits is that you, you, you have the app, and then it's reading what's on your clipboard. And then it has access to other data in, in your phone. This is a bigger conversation having to do with China and their stealing of intellectual property. It can't be denied that the communist Chinese government is stealing intellectual property, and it is a problem, costing Americans billions and billions of dollars and allowing China to get advances in technology because they steal it. Now, one of the, I think, the most ignorant things people do is they don't make a differentiation or, pur or purposefully they conflate, and they say when you talk about these things, you're being against China. I am not being against my neighbor who is Chinese, but I'll say pretty clearly, I'm against communism. Yes. I've read books. It seems that it sucks. I'm, not, I'm no expert. Wait, I might be. It seems that it's pretty awful. And what they've done to Hong Kong, as we've discussed, what they do already to uh, Chinese people, if you want to look up a horror, find out what the Chinese government does to Uyghur Muslims. U-I-G-H-U-R is how you spell it. There's sometimes a Y thrown in there depending on different levels of spelling. It is awful and twisted that that's happening in the 21st century. I, I won't get into it here. I, I won't. So when you see these exploits and you realize what's happening and you realize that TikTok is really an app for the 14 to 24-year-old set and sometimes the content's just straight up inappropriate. Sometimes it's very funny. Sometimes it's, it's, it's inappropriate. You, there, there's going to be no doubt that this thing is going to get banned and sooner rather than later. It is a fun app. I don't have it on my phone. I've made sure that my kids don't have it on their phones. Uh, 
there are fun videos and they pop up on other platforms, right? You'll see Twitter, TikTok videos are shared on Twitter and on Instagram and it looks fun. But I have to believe that the, the Trump administration, they had to have hoped that Apple would make the first move on this because this is not going to be popular, especially with younger people. There are going to be a lot of upset people because they don't really understand right. what this issue is. and what, What's the big deal if China has in my, some of my information? Well, it is a big deal. And people are going to say, well, wait a second. You're upset with Twitter for saying, you know, we're fact-checking one of President Trump's tweets, but here you are taking down a whole platform. Yeah. And you have to accept the fact that there's a difference between the two things. First, when you talk about China, you're not talking about a free society. So don't compare it to your society. Second, when Twitter decides that they're going to fact-check this or not allow that, that's they, it's their company. But is it the thing that they should be doing? They should be a platform allowing people to speak and they should not be a publisher regulating what people say. China is stealing. The Chinese government is stealing. And no one should be okay with it. And it's not okay to give up a little bit of your information. We have gotten very, very loosey-goosey with the idea of, oh, yeah, they got a little bit of our information. What's the big deal? And, and I know I've talked about this. I actually came across a video from Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, Vayner Media. We will give up security for a bit of uh, for a bit of convenience, right? That's it. We do it on all sorts of things. Zoom had these issues, you know, the teleconferencing uh, software. It's it's not a way to be. You should really look at it and say, no, I don't need that in my life. And I know there are going to be a lot of people who are upset by it. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? They're upset by it. Uh, you know, there's a difference between children and adults. Yeah, and we're supposed to say to children, this is why we're doing it. And, yeah, you're upset about it. But I'm going to tell you, no matter, no matter what any Disney sitcom ever told you, <laughs> and no matter what any rally ever told you, adults are supposed to know things. Adults are supposed to help kids through it. And kids and adults, children and adults are not equal. And that's why we call them children. Right. And you got to believe, too, that some of these platforms will adjust if TikTok's taken off phones that they'll adjust to try to make their app a little more TikTok-ish because it was Oh, sure. Oh, it'll create opportunity in other places. Absolutely. I'm no problem with that. Next. So, we've heard about round two of a stimulus here in the United States and we don't know what it's going to... A trillion dollars as they're talking. Wow. Another trillion. Because what's debt? That doesn't matter. Well, well, put that in perspective. If you're one person, think of you personally paying out a trillion dollars. That's a a lot of money, (laughs) Tony. Well, the Brits, our friends across the Great Pond, they are trying to think of ways to stimulate the economy. And the Brits are coming up with a plan called the Eat Out to Help Out plan, Tony. A market watch calls it a scheme. And basically, the the, the chancellor's come up with a scheme that will... The chancellor? Yeah, the chancellor's summer statement will entitle every diner... Uh, to a 50% discount up to 10 pounds per head on the meal at any restaurant in the country, including upscale venues. You know what it doesn't include? What? Alcohol. First, sinful. Totally, totally sinful. That it doesn't include a pint is trash. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this is a fun little take on the welfare state, ain't it? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? I mean, it is. It is. Uh, look, uh, it is. I think that 
if you don't accept the fact that when you shut down a society, you might have to help people out in that society, I think that's a huge mistake. I'm a guy who believes in individual responsibility. But you shut down society, you better help some people. Because people really need it. They got destroyed. I mean, we've been talking about it. We don't know yet the horrors that are going to come. And I'm glad the unemployment rate's going down and the consumer confidence is up. These are all really wonderful things. But, you know, why, why, why restaurants? Why not hotels? Right. Why, why not vacations? Um, why not less taxes? Why not uh, on jeans? There, it, it goes on down the line. So it's very, there's a very also winners and losers conversation well, here. Well, don't throw that out there because those suggestions will be taken and then it'll be a $3 trillion bill in the United I States. I find the people who want the welfare state never have a problem with finding more things <laughs> to engage the welfare state on. This is Eat, Drink, Smoke. The only thing worse than not having a deal is a bad deal. And I learned this through my own dealings and in getting into radio. This is Eat, Drink, Smoke. I'm Tony Katz. That is Fingers Malloy. Find me on Twitter at Tony Katz. You can find Fingers Malloy at Fingers Malloy on the Twitter box, M-A-L-L-O-Y. So in addition to this show, I do a morning show in Indianapolis. I have a nationally syndicated midday show. And when I was building my radio career, opportunities came up. Well, we can put you on this station. Well, we could do this for you over here. And you would listen to the deal and you realized you had no ownership. You had no say, and you were really at the whim of other people, but you were trying to break into radio. And well, well, maybe these are the things you got to do. What I made the determination of is that no way. I won't be able to handle it on the second Tuesday. And as much as it pained me because I wanted this when I started 11 years ago, I wanted this so incredibly badly. The only thing that would get me crazier than not having a deal would be to be locked into a bad deal. Right. And that lesson is, is I think, one of the most important ones for, for young business owners, for, for small business owners, for people trying to grow, to, to recognize and realize that there are worse things than not having the deal. A bad deal is one of those things. Her name is Michaela Cole, C-O-E-L. I don't know this woman from Adam. I came across the story over at Pop Sugar. She developed a, a, a series. She's worked on other shows. She worked on Black Mirror, which I can't watch. Freaks me out too much. I can't watch Black Mirror. It's, it's, in, it's insane. And so she developed a show. She had some horrible things happen to her. Uh, it, she, got, she got sexually assaulted. She developed a whole thing a, a, a around it. Pitched it to Netflix. Netflix says yes. And then Netflix says, oh, by the way, we own the thing. She's like, well, I want to own part of it. And Netflix was like, no, nah, we're not going to do that. It was a million-dollar deal. And she said, all right, I pass. This woman is my hero. She walked literally, you know, the expect would you walk away from a million dollars? Yeah. She walked away from a million dollars. She went back to ask for 5% ownership. And when she asked for it, she says there was silence on the phone. And uh, she said, uh, and, and, and the ex executive said, well, it's not really how we do things here. Nobody does that. It's, it's not a big deal. And she's like, well, if it's not a big deal, then I'd really like to have 5%. <laughs> right? That's the answer. Um, and then uh, they, no they went down the line. They went down the thing, and they tried to negotiate her, her down to, to, to a percentage. 
And she's like, nah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. That is fantastic. That is a lesson. Like, I want to talk to her. I don't know if we agree on anything. I have absolutely no idea about this woman's, you know, except for knowing this little bit about her story. I want to know what that was like. Like, what is it like to be in that moment? This is what you want to do. This is the thing you're passionate about. And you're like, yeah, I, 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 I can't give it up for this. I admire people who bet on themselves. Right? And that's what this is. It, she's betting on herself and she's betting on her story. And that is fantastic. You talk about people, you know, signing bad deals. You hear a lot about this. Like, I, I have nothing to do with Netflix, but I, I used to, you know, be a podcaster. And stand-up comics, a lot of stand-up comics who are growing audiences, companies will throw money at them saying, you should start a podcast, you should start a show, and they'll sign a bad deal because they're like, oh, they're going to give me money to do a podcast, but then the company owns the podcast. Right. Yeah. So you're seeing that, and it's really, really hard for people to say no, but I really admire the hell out of this woman for, I'll, for saying no. And I'll admit, no. I'm... A, I'm a little old schoolish in my in my styling in that I don't mind the working with a larger organization. Uh, I, I think it's a little bit uh, of the idea of can I make more with them? If I do it all, I'll make less. And where that moment is, right? So in what I do, I, I, I mean, I'm not afraid to say I own the show. I, I own everything that I do. Now, the morning show I do in Indianapolis on 93.1 FM WIBC, I don't own that. I'm an employee there for that morning show. My midday show, I own it lock, stock, and barrel. Eat, drink, smoke. This is our baby, right? This is, this is what we do. That was very, very important to me. And maybe I needed to do the first thing to be able to build the opportunities to the second thing and the third thing and then some other things uh, I've got in the pipeline. So maybe, you know, that's the way I did it, right? I took that first deal, which ended up working out very well for me and I still do it, to be able to line up the other things and the other opportunities. So sometimes you might say, you know what, I'll take this deal. It might not be perfect, but not perfect is different than a bad deal, right? right? If, if you take a look at it, sometimes you'll say, well, they didn't get everything they wanted, I didn't get everything I wanted. But okay, that's sometimes, that's sometimes not the end of the world. That's different than taking a bad deal. Well, then you hear about people who sign the bad deal. The show explodes. They get bitter that they're doing a show that they should be making a lot more money on, but they signed a bad deal. Then their product suffers. They separate from the company, and then they're, they're treated, the, 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 the label is, oh, they were a bad seed. Right. And they, they were difficult to work with. And then you had your opportunity, and you blew your shot. Which is why I don't understand why people would even offer bad deals. You want the content creator to be happy. You want them to be excited about doing it because you're making money from the content. What's, what's the point of, like, screwing them around or trying to hurt them right. on the first? That, it, it's, it's, that is old-school thinking bad, bad thinking. Uh, we're smoking uh, the Julius Caesar from Diamond Crown. The Diamond Crown, Julius Caesar. Uh, this is uh, J.C. Newman. This cigar is full-bodied. Don't even <laughs> don't even play around. Uh, and wonderful. We're doing it in the Toro size, 6x52. Uh, I, I got through the first third pretty quick. I've been nursing the second it third. It sneaks up on you. The first third, I, I didn't think to myself, this is a full-bodied cigar. But you got get into the second third. You're like, whoa! I'm, 
breaking a little bit of a sweat here. Are you? <laughs> a little bit, just a tad. And all I'm doing, I'm sitting in a beautifully air-conditioned cigar bar in Indianapolis, and I'm, I've been sitting here for an hour and a half. Uh, I'm sweating. <laughs> uh, one more story. Because if, you, if you're on social media, all right, and you're following us, Eat, Drink, Smoke, on Facebook, facebook.com slash eat, drink, smoke, in your social media feeds, you've seen a lot of madness with everything that's going on, with protests and riots all across the country. Well, one of the stories is there is this guy in Missouri. This 12-year-old kid is on a street corner. Maybe I think he's with some friends. And he's kind of dancing around. And some guy, a car pulls up. A guy gets out of the passenger side, walks up to the kid from behind like he's dancing as well, punches this 12-year-old kid in the face. It's a grown man. Punches the twelve-year-old kid in a face, jumps back in the car, and they and they take off. And the video is out there. It's it's a, it's an attack. It's an assault. I'm wondering because the twelve-year-old kid is white, and the guy is black. I don't know if they're going to call this a hate crime because they were looking for this guy. This guy has now turned himself in. The attacker turned himself in. I don't. I have zero sympathy. I don't think he's somehow a good guy for turning himself in. Throw the book and a half at him. We see these things, people walking up to people and hitting them. The knockout game. Man, it's just, it's madness. And you see it in all different ways. And people just walking up to people and punching them. You're seeing it in in, in a lot of these protests. I'm down with protests. Right. What we're seeing regarding George Floyd, actual protests, I have zero problem with. Bring it on. How How can I help you make sure you have... A safe and solid protest. Say what you want. If I disagree with you, that would be something different, right? You know, uh, you know. I, we can. Dis- My point is, we could disagree, but I wouldn't stop the protest, right? We might disagree on the thing. I don't know if I disagree, but depending on what people are protesting. But the riots are, are blow my mind, and that somehow we're kind of almost. It, it's almost getting kind of excused. It's crazed, but this. I'm so. I, I only wish they would have found the guy sooner. You can't be okay with this. I wonder how much they're going to throw the book at him. Because they should throw the ever... Punch a 12-year-old in the face. Can't just excuse that kind of stuff. Find us on Facebook. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. This is Eat, Drink, Smoke.